Welcome to the Best Ever You Show with your host, Elizabeth Hamilton Garino, CEO and founder of the Best Ever You Network, helping you live your life to the fullest. How? Real people, including celebrities, real advice, real places, products, and businesses, real life stories. It's all right here for you with this radio show, printed magazine, websites, community, and more. Remember to visit us online, too, at besteveryou.com. And now here's your host, CEO and founder of the Best Ever You Network, Elizabeth Hamilton Garino. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for listening to the Best Ever You Show. Usually we do our shows on Tuesdays and Thursdays, but we have a really special guest with us here today on this fine Monday coming to you from Maine, from the Falmouth, Maine area. We have a Falmouth, Maine teenager on the line with us for the next hour. I don't know how many of you all out there have teenagers that will stay on the phone with you for an hour, an actual phone, (laughs) maybe texting back and forth, but we've got her on the phone. She's picked up the phone. She's dialed in. She's here with us. Her name is Haley Stark. She is a 17-year-old now. She's uh, uh, going to be a senior at Falmouth High School. And she is a spinal cord stroke survivor. And not only um, is she here to tell us all about that, but she's written a book about the experience called Tying the Ribbon. Um, Haley, hello, hello. Welcome to the Best Ever You show in our community. Hello. Thank you for welcoming me. Yeah. So we started the show laughing and um, I appreciate that because um, it shows that you've probably come a really long way because I bet there were moments yes. <laughs> uh, where you wanted to, you know, break down and cry. In fact, I've read about a few of those moments in your book, but um, where should we start? Should we, should we start by like, do you want to just go there and tell us what happened? Yeah, certainly. Um, so the spinal cord stroke happened about just over five years now. And I was just coming home from track practice one afternoon. I was doing my homework in my living room. And I felt this incredible pain in my right shoulder. And I wasn't quite sure what it was. I figured it was growing pains. I was 12 years old. So I thought, this is nothing. I I must have torn something during track. Who knows? And so the pain got worse significantly. And I called in my dad to the living room and I said, dad, you know, I think this could be more than just a growing pain, more than just a pull. And he said, oh, why don't, why don't you just take an Advil or a Tylenol upstairs and just go take a nap? And, and thank goodness I didn't because I said, dad, I really think, really think this is getting worse. I think this is more than that. It was this, thank, thank goodness, this extra sense that I must have had in that moment. And then within a matter of 90 seconds, I was completely covered by this pain. It was like every muscle in my body was as tense as it could possibly be. And I remember I was, I was freaking out. I was scared. I didn't know what was going on. And then just about a minute and a half later, everything shut off. I was completely paralyzed from the neck down. I couldn't feel. I couldn't move. And I was looking at myself. And it was like seeing someone else's body. It was very bizarre. That's how I... I tend to describe it as it's, it's genuinely as seeing someone else as opposed to myself when looking down. And then an ambulance came by. I was rushed to the hospital. That night they ran MRIs. They ran every test in the book to try to see what happened. And they called my parents in and said, there's nothing we can do for her. There's nothing we can do for you guys. We have to put her on a trach on life support immediately. Next 15 minutes, they said, and, and that's all it's ever going to be. And my parents refused to believe that. Um, they called everywhere in Boston. They got us a place at, at Tufts. There was an availability. We went there for about 11, 13 days where it worsened at first and then slowly got better. And then I stayed at inpatient rehab at Spalding Rehabilitation Center in Charleston, Massachusetts, for about 50 days after that until I was able to come home. I have so many questions. Can I ask them? May I, may I please ask of you a lot of questions? Um, yes, absolutely. Wow. Well, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you survived. I don't know if you know this or not, but my father, is a, uh, my father was a stroke survivor for many, many, many years. He survived things that are impossible to survive and come away with memory and abilities and so forth. Um, so I, I understand, I actually really understand what you've been through. 
Um, I've been through it with my father. I don't, I haven't been through it personally, knock on everything, but I get you completely. And, um, the fact that you're on this radio show, the fact that you've written a book, the fact that you go to school, I mean, all, uh, all those are big things. The fact that you do so many things. Yeah. These are big things. the, The fact that you can talk and have your memory and just so many things anyway. Okay. My question is in that moment when you were talking to your father, um, go, go back and if you weren't insistent, and we're not blaming dad or anything like that, but I'm, I'm saying it's easy to um, like write kids off as being dramatic right. or haha, funny, funny, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I'm, I had a very strong relationship with my father. At the time we were living, um, my brother and I lived with my father half of the time. And then we would live with my mother the other half. So we had, we'd been through a lot together as it was. And thankfully we were so close that I think he saw in that moment when I looked at him and said, no, I really think this is more. I think he saw a genuine fear and, and thankfully responded as such. Yeah, because I was thinking about that with our own kids and I'd be like the same, like take a towel, you're fine. You know, that kind of thing. And yeah. um, what was different about that moment? Just you just there's just that feeling. It was just, just the pain um, was so intense in that moment. I had yeah. I had done athletics, I'd done sports. At the time I played five organized sports with Falmouth at the time and yeah, I know so I you. Think, <laughs> yeah. Right. Right, yeah. Yeah, I, was, I know. I super into athletics. So I think I think I had known what it felt like to have a shoulder pull, to have something like that, and I just felt like it was more um yeah. And again, thankfully, I didn't go upstairs and nap, didn't take a Tylenol and and wish for the best because we needed pretty immediate care. Yeah. Do you, that's sort of a lesson right there, maybe for everyone, like better safe than sorry, right? Right. Of course. Yeah. So I was reading your book and um, it wasn't just an, you know how you described it? Like I went here, I went there, I went here, I went there. You really had some life-threatening moments along the way, um, yes. With complications, do you want to do want to talk yeah. about that a little bit? Because it wasn't all just like, oh, okay, we figured it out. And did they trach you? Uh, no, they never did. Oh, they okay. So yeah. from <laughs> yes, yeah, thankfully, uh, from that Hello. moment where they said that I needed the trach, um, they that was when they were saying 15 minutes, this needs to happen. She's on life support. And my parents called around in Boston, called every hospital and there was a bed at Tuff. So we ambulanced over there because they were going to helicopter, but we were out of time, like really had to get over there. So they, they went as fast as they could ambulance me over there in the ambulance ride. That's really where things started to go downhill um, beyond where they already were, where, my lungs collapsed. I, I um, got sepsis, septic shock. I had a fever. Everything that could go wrong was going wrong. And I showed up at Tufts. They also were running tests simultaneously while they were doing their procedures because they didn't want to do anything that could further harm it once they figured out the diagnosis. So they were doing a million tests. They never found anything. They never found any cause for what happened. I still don't know what caused the injury. And that was where things were, were so rough. They had me tied down to the bed at one point. I have, yeah. They've used medication to have me forget some of the things that happened once they did happen. Um, I was put out for a while while they were trying to figure it all out. It was, it was, pretty terrifying and in my perspective of it is I don't remember a lot of the pain from those moments specifically but I I know for sure that my parents do and and they have that perspective that I don't there yeah it's a little bit of PTSD I'm sure um yeah you know I think about I'm I'm going to just talk about my dad a little bit if that's okay too because you know he walked around and for all purposes thank god he could walk around right um for all purposes, you really couldn't look at him and go, mm, yeah, stroke survivor, right. you know, that kind of thing. 
And I've I've seen you before. I've seen you function at the you know you're you're a super great student, a super great person. Your personality, you know, all the things that are just so amazing about you. Um, how do you and and you can fix this sentence a little bit, but I'm I'm getting at mm-hmm. how you know how when you meet somebody you can never really tell their whole story. You don't know what's happened to them, what they're walking around right. with, if they're grieving, if they're sad, if they're happy. Um, yes. Do you feel that way? Like, is it bubbled up? Like, oh, if only you other kids, you know, you, you know, knew what's happened to me and what I've been through. Um, or has your book been a really great way to get that out? Or you know, how are people oh, with you? Yeah, I think both. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that I've had the opportunity to give a lot of speeches about it and talk about the book. So a lot of people in the immediate um, community of Falmouth really they know what happened and a lot of families do and I work yeah. at the restaurant Buena Loco sometimes and there people will come up to me who I don't know who know about it but I've certainly been in situations where people don't know what happened and, and if you look at me now I don't have any braces or any um, crutch or anything like that carrying me along anymore so once I meet people for the first time it's I always say it's it's awkward for a second, but I can handle it, and so can they. And that's always the handshake um, because right now I'm left with paralysis in my right hand, so I can't move my right hand at all. And for a while I went to church after my injury. For a while I've done speech and debate the last three years at Falmouth High School. So shaking hands has become a very common thing with people that I, I don't know. And, of course, when I just meet anyone for the first time, that's common. So I, it depends on the moment. Oftentimes when I'm working with young kids, if I'm doing anything with younger people, I will quickly say, Oh, I, I sprained my wrist, something, something quick um, as not to scare them or anything like that. But when right. I speak with adults, I've gotten to a point where I will say, Oh, I have a spinal cord stroke. May I shake your left hand or I, I try to do it quickly um, mm-hmm. because I don't think, I've personally found that although that is an overwhelming icebreaker to first meet someone with, I do prefer that over over coming up with something less significant after all that we've been through. Yeah, kind of like, can I hug you instead, right? <laughs> right, yeah. Oh, I'm a super huggable person. <laughs> exactly, that's yeah. the idea. I'd be like, you get your choice. You get a left hand shake or you get a hug. Uh, whichever one you want, because right. my right hand doesn't I, work I try so to well. Do... <laughs> Yeah, like a five feet back, I go for the hug first. <laughs> exactly. Catch them off guard. Yeah. Just wear a t-shirt. Warning, I may hug you. Um. Right. Exactly. Um, were you left-handed to start with? I was not. I was uh, right-handed. Um, of yeah. course, right. And uh, right. Yeah. Course. So I spent a very frustrating uh, seventh grade year slowly learning how to use my yeah left hand, and and they gave. Thomas Middle School, I I owe my life to them. They gave me every accommodation I could possibly need. They let me use my laptop. They I could speak to the teacher, the answers to tests, and, and anything I needed. But it was still very frustrating to to relearn how to write and relearn how to use my computer and 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 do everything with my left hand. Yeah, and that is still that still happens. And is it your whole arm or just your hand or um, part like it does it go up your arm or just your hand? So it's primarily my right hand. I do have sensation issues on my right hand, uh, arm, like the forearm is pretty sensitive, pretty weak, and my shoulder is a bit weak. As for the rest of my body, it's my hip and right leg has some weakness and sensitivity, but mm-hmm. nothing as as um, as much as the right hand, which is really just completely yeah. paralyzed. So, so is it like a left, like was it a left side stroke that affects your right side, sort of? Exactly. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. My dad had a right side stroke affecting his left side, but he was left yeah. with um, uh, bl- field cuts, like blindness um, in the corners mm-hmm. of his eyes and the outside parts of his eyes. And so he couldn't drive and things like that, but he could see well enough and walk well enough and so forth to walk around. But he would get, he would bump into people and um, right. 
and have to he he got and um he he passed away in October um but I mean he 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 saw so many things like my sister be married and children be born and you know all, so many cool things that he he, right. he was a fighter oh my gosh was he a fighter and um yeah, he he got so he would yeah. oh yeah and he got so he would hand out a, a card that said, um, pardon me, like if he bumped into somebody, he would hand them a card and just say, and it explained, like, pardon me if I really bumped into you. I just want you to know I'm a stroke survivor, you know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. And I thought that was clever on his part. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay. So this has happened, and um, we have choices in moments like these, don't we, where we can feel really awful about ourselves or we can continue in a, in a positive forward momentum. Um, yeah. Just can you describe that moment? Because there's, it sounds like there's some nurses that were pretty pivotal um, to you, you know, having this moment even on the show and the moments that you've had following. Yeah, I mean, you kept going. So, yeah, yeah, I, I did have a few moments, and and to be honest, when I speak with my parents about it as well, there weren't whole lot of these moments it was pretty we stayed relatively optimistic and I think I think what fueled that was just my age and how young I was and and the fact that I didn't really have an understanding of what was going on a kind of ignorance is bliss sense of oh I I can recover all the way I can do it if I just keep trying Um, but there was one night in particular which is included in the book where I was starting to get a sense of the reality of what had happened and it was right at the start of Tufts and I remember just thinking that everything for the rest of my life would be would be taken from me everything that I knew would be taken from me all the the athletics the sports which in a 12 year old's perspective was was my life was the reason to live and I did feel extremely depressed in that moment that that night was overwhelming and I started to realize that these doctors thought I would never move again and these doctors thought I'd never breathe without oxygen again and all of these claims that they started making and and I started to really believe that because you believe the doctor you believe the the medical professional and that way of life didn't seem like something worth being a part of for me at the time. And of course I think back on that often. And I I think about all of the amazing things that I've been able to experience since. And, and I imagine telling myself back then there is a life ahead of you. There is, there are so many things ahead of you, regardless of how much you recover physically. But at the time that was, that was it. That seemed like it. Me sitting in that hospital bed in pain with a million wires hooked up to me, I thought was going to be the rest of my life. So I was extremely depressed that evening and I didn't understand why I should go on, why, why I should fight. I didn't have to fight for much before that in my life. So I didn't, I didn't have a sense of what that would be like either. But the next day is when I met, like you mentioned, like the most incredible nurse that I ever had the opportunity to encounter throughout the process. And her name was Nurse Susie. She was absolutely amazing. I mean, she came into that room, that 12-year-old girl's room, who's as depressed as she's ever been, as helpless as she's ever been. And she just comes in and she goes, that you're feeling awful, right? Like she, she immediately comes in and just candid, yeah. bluntly assesses yeah. the situation. And, and I remember thinking like, who is this one? Like, like she's right. But like, why do I need to talk to her? And she comes in and she was supposed to give me a bath that day in, in bed. And so my dignity definitely took a hit too for someone who oh, yeah. always cared for my own hygiene. And that was a, a, a scary part of it as well, though a scary mental battle. But she came in and was about to give me a bath, and she she does quickly, but then immediately she's like, "Can I braid your hair? Like your your hair needs to be braided. It looks awful." And like she she starts <laughs> to 
she's making jokes. She's trying to. My dad comes in while she's braiding my hair, Aww. and the two of them are making jokes. And my mom loves her, and it was just she and I had this I connection. And I think that also gave some way to letting my parents start to to have their own understanding of what was going on and have their own space. Because once these nurses started getting so close to me and the family, we we got to give some space to my parents. Those those nurses could take care of me for a little bit. My parents didn't need to be on that that twenty four seven watch, which they would continue to be on anyway, but they could they could take breaks. They could start to relax a little bit slowly. So the nurses changed my life all the way through. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, isn't it? Okay, this is kind of like a, a maybe an old, like an old person question. Sorry for throwing the day, but I'm going to just to hear what you have to say about it. But uh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> I'm 50. I'm old. Um, and okay. You know how doctors, they're wonderful. They save your life. They're this, they're that. Nurses, everybody. Isn't it interesting, though, in the crowd of doctors and nurses and so forth, how some are negative and some are positive? Oh, yeah. Oh, I yeah, we experienced a lot of different types of of doctors, oh. some that were very hands-on, some that were very hands-off. Like, it was it was a range of, of different personality styles and, and do, like, yeah. just different styles of how outlooks, they yeah, different operated. Different outlooks, too. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean talk talk with me about this because I think it's really important for anybody who's in the hospital or, or, or just future self, anything. Um, right. There are, there are so many different outlooks around you when you're in the hospital. There's naysayers, yeah. there's super positives. There's people you feel like who have arrived who are like an angel or something just out of the blue, yes. like save your life moment kind of thing. They just mysteriously know how you're feeling. You don't know what to make of it. Um, I just through my dad being so ill, we had people tell us, oh, from this, he's not going to, you know, not in this manner and not bed right. manner like this, but the gist of it was he's not living through this. So make some right. plans, you know, kind of thing. And he lived, mm-hmm. he fought for his life through, like, defied medical odds. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, defied exactly. every medical odd, <laughs> you know. Right. Um, from, you know, we call them bugs in the vent, you know, in the vent, like when you're on a ventilator and the ventilator mm-hmm. gets, you know, it right. all, you know, it has to be changed and so forth and causes fevers. And I mean, there's just so many things that happen in the hospital when I saw that you had pneumonia and sepsis and all this stuff. I'm like, yep, yep, yep. And so right. I can, I mean, I, I hear what's happened to you and mm-hmm. who, was it you? Was it your parent? Who refused to listen to that? All of you collectively? It was, it was my mindset. parents. I hadn't, yeah, they hadn't filled me in on what was going on until quite a bit later, until that, that yeah. night that was so upsetting. Um, I was still under the impression, I was very naive. For the entire five-and-a-half MRI at Maine Medical Center those first two days, I was just thinking, I have a track meet tomorrow that I need to make, so <laughs> get me yeah. out of here. Like, I was, I was completely in the mindset of, well, this needs to start healing because the home meet is tomorrow, and that's the one that I was preparing for. And so I, I was not filled in on all of this, but my parents both have extremely strong wills and in, in everything they do in their lives. And thankfully oh, yeah. both of them work together to make that happen, to make toughs happen the next stage. Yeah. Do you, um, do you have your book in front of you by any chance? I do. Yes. Okay. Uh, is there any part that you would want to read to us like a page or anything like that from your book? Anything that stands out that you, you want to oh, share? I know. Um, uh huh. <laughs> I thought that. Take a moment <laughs> and think about it. If you yeah, need. I know I'm hitting that out of the blue, and maybe I'll talk for a little bit here while you think about that, because I would really love yeah, for you to do that. And while you're thinking of that, I'm gonna just give little shout outs here to people like Delaney. Hi, Delaney. <laughs> I love that kid. Um, there's people yes. I know because we're in Falmouth together. Uh, Matt Rogers. Wow. Um, I'm yes. just going to read a little list of thank yous. I'm not going to let you read the thank yous. I'm going to read the thank yous while you're thinking about um, <laughs> okay, while you're thinking perfect. about what you want to read. But we've got um, 
Susie, Jesse, Dr. Adams, the Morris, the Rohanas, the Rogers, the Coyotes, the Fallons, the Weimers, the Davis, Davis family, Legier, Warnock, Hepburn, Tate, Bon V, Tufel, Lara, DeWolf, Bayer, Carlisle, the staff of the Falmouth Middle School, the staff of the Falmouth Elementary School, the high school, coaches, Coach Dissel, Emily Stewart, I love Amy Magnuson, great bio teacher, Meg Berry, Tammy Heathcote, yeah. Daniel Paul, Craig Shane, I know him, Sarah Jones, I mean, mm-hmm. so many people that I probably just miss your parents, brother, Robin Haley, and then everybody at the yeah. medical centers, from Maine Medical Center to Tufts to Spalding, so many people. Uh, the Rohanas came over when my husband was not feeling very well with the best baked CD ever. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Mrs. Rohan. Um, okay, so take it away. Did you find a page or two? Yeah. That you want to read yeah. from? Okay. So, yeah. So I um I've had the opportunity to, in speech and debate, go to tournaments and and read parts of the book to, um, as speeches to judges and to other students, and so this is I'll read two of these short little bits from one of the speeches that I gave that kind of was just a compilation of little bits of the whole story kind of pieced together. So, um, all right. So this uses at the end of the book, there are truths that I wrote out and this uses a truth and then attaches it to a, to a place from the book. So truth number one, I will never be able to understand what someone else is going through. And even by writing this book, I will never be able to put someone else in my shoes. The adage of putting yourself in someone else's shoes is flawed and restrains us from appreciating the infinite differences as human beings. Brayden ended up traveling all the way up from Rhode Island with flowers he had picked from his garden to surprise me when I was discharged about two weeks after the fourth. Brooke was wheeled out with two big pigtails and the biggest smile I'd ever seen. Shana and Samuel emerged from their rooms, and I was able to get out of my chair and walk out of the double doors that I had left behind for so many days. That was always my goal, to walk out of Spalding. I had seen a kid walking out when I first arrived, and I envied his mobility. Truth number two, my awareness of the beds that always have a waiting list of sick children at Spalding and Tufts has taught me that there will never be a day when children and families alike aren't experiencing similar challenges. The parents' lounge had an unwritten rule about not allowing kids in, but it had the best view of Fenway Park, and apparently the fireworks had commenced. I decided after a few minutes of regretful hesitation to wheel down the hallway. What I saw in that room was the most moving display I've ever witnessed. Almost every kid had congregated in the small room, each with their face pressed against the glass walls to see the light. Parents stood a few feet behind them all, watching their children glowing, not the fireworks. Even a kid who spoke a language I was never able to identify was there, and I had never seen him move out of his room. He had a halo-type brace holding his neck and head in place, yet there was still an arch in his back when he leaned towards the show in the sky. Shana and Samuel giggled long as they tried to explain to each other which crackling sounds were their favorites. They realized that their voices were unable to replicate the sounds of any one firework in particular and gave up by agreeing that they were all magnificent. I can't say that I was watching the lights or the children. I think I was watching the space as a whole. I was absorbing the relief of parents who all looked equally dazed and in distress. I was taking in the positivity of the children and the incredible strength that must have taken them all to find happiness in light of whatever they were going through that had put them there. It was an indescribably beautiful army of young souls who stood and sat side by side in front of that class with goodness radiating from their bodies. No evil in the universe could ever take down their fortress of power and will. So yeah, that was the, that's mm. the section that was highlighted in one of my speeches. Thank you for sharing that with us. I yeah. I appreciate it. I, I really appreciate you being here too. It's it's uh, just an amazing an amazing person. Um, Thank you. What do you what do you think? You, do you know like you know how kids, adults always ask kids, "What do you want to do with your life? <laughs> what do you want to do?" You know, we're we're filled with that. What are what's your moment like? Like what's your today like? What's your I know we, you know, we don't know what our tomorrows are like and so forth, but what, what are some of your goals? What are some of the things you want to see? What are, what are maybe your college plans? You know, go yeah. with all the so, questions parents, annoying parents ask you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no worries. I should, the questions I should be asking myself more often. Um, we yeah. are, 
since I'm going into senior year, I'm very much in the application stage, the looking at colleges and trying to figure out what I really want to do. And I'm fortunate in the regards of I've always known which field I love. And I love social studies. I love the humanities, history, and English. And that's been the case since elementary school. So this having this injury has really shaped who I am as a person. It doesn't, it doesn't define who I am, but it's certainly shaped who I am and, and what I'd like to do. And so my goals at the moment certainly include going somewhere, studying either law or government and politics, and working with legislative affairs regarding disabilities and disability rights. That's really hmm. where my heart is. And, and I, I love public speaking. I've done theater for six, seven years now. I'm planning to continue it senior year and probably in college as well. So incorporating public speaking somehow into that goal is, is something else I, I plan on. I keep forgetting I'm talking to a 17-year-old with how articulate <laughs> and beautifully, eloquently well-spoken oh, you are. That's pretty amazing. Um, you. You're teaching us all things. That you can, uh, tell us about high school. Okay, so you're in middle school, and, and this has happened. Right. What's my first day of freshman year like? Oh, it's uh, terrifying. Um, probably not a whole, not a lot unlike uh, uh, most freshmen, but it was terrifying. And the thing that was the scariest about it is throughout middle school, like I, I, I got middle school down. I knew all the teachers. They all knew who I was. They all put up green ribbons. I, I loved the principal. She's done so much for me over the years. And I just, I felt home in the middle school. And so when I got to the high school, the thing that really struck me was the fact that there were people all amongst me who did not know what happened and who did not know who I was. And that's, that was, I I knew the staff would have an idea. I knew some students would know, but there were so many upperclassmen and so many staff members I hadn't met yet. And, and all these, this new set of people who I would need to ask for accommodations and I would need to explain the injury and, and get to meet and start over. And, that was, it was terrifying. It was really scary. But at the time I was getting around pretty easily. I still needed to use the school elevator and I had a a brace for a little bit of time. So there was, there was an acknowledgement of an injury for freshman year um, from the outsider's perspective because of that. But eventually people started to get to know me since I, I started working with the civil rights team and all the different clubs and activities at the school where I could talk about the injury and I could talk about disability rights and the ways that I wanted to start getting the word out. And by now, a lot of people in the school have read the book, know of the book, the staff certainly know for the most part about the injury in the book. And, and I'm, I'm excited about that fact because it, it does make me feel like I've made something out of it, but it is nerve wracking as I'm about to enter college and, and do that kind of start over thing on an even bigger scale. Yeah. To, um, was Mr. Was Mr. B the principal or was it Mr. Palmer when you were a freshman? I can't remember when that. Mr. Palmer was my freshman principal and then it was Mr. B for the next three years. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mr. Palmer is, well, both are amazing. I know Mr. Palmer a little bit well, more uh, better yeah. because um, my kids have been, you know, are older, right. I guess. But did he, he's in, Mr. Palmer is all about everything English and theater and all that stuff. Did he help you uh, in any way, shape or form that you want to talk about? I, I, yeah, I don't I mean, know. Mr. I'm Palmer asking that out of the great. blue because I love Mr. Palmer. Yeah. It's just so cool. I know Mr. B too. You're awesome too. <laughs> both yes, awesome. They're both, they're both yeah. awesome. Um, I needed a lot more help at the middle school level. So Dr. Adams was very hands-on and and she was, yeah, she was incredible. She checked in. I gave her updates. She made sure all my teachers were were in check all the time. It was was wonderful. But uh, Mr. Palmer and Mr. B both have done great things for me and my family. They've, they've let 
we have 504 meetings where I could explain the injury before school starts and I have access to the elevator. I've worked with them. I'm on the school newspaper and I've talked to them about changes in the school and, and things that I was passionate about. And both of them have been extremely willing to let that happen. My advisor for the last three years and will be for the fourth, um, Dee Dee Waite, the theater director at the high school, hmm. has also been absolutely incredible. She, I dedicate so much to her and, and the company that she really is the heart and soul of um, because she has given me an outlet that, that isn't sports, that isn't athletics, that wasn't something I, I thought I would spend the rest of my life doing, but something that I love and something that I feel welcome in. And, and I have all the accommodations I could possibly need there. I show up to rehearsal. Everyone knows what I can and can't do or, or knows to ask, and it's never been a problem. I've I've done dance numbers and musicals that I've modified. I've done anything anything anyone else could do in that company, and it's it's been incredible. I owe a lot to her and, and the administration. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I know everyone you're talking about and couldn't agree more. And the book is dedicated yeah. to Mrs. Olsen. Hello, yes. Mrs. Olson. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Mrs. Olson was yeah. my sixth grade teacher. Um, I had both Mr. Shane and Mrs. Olson by my sixth grade year, but she was my English teacher. And she encouraged my writing long before the injury. She she was very headstrong with the idea of me going into writing in some way, right. going into humanities and so she really pushed the idea even when I, I met with her after the injury um, pretty pretty immediately after she pushed the idea of me writing about it and, and getting the word out so thankfully yeah. she I, I did start writing all the way back then and I do have some some quotes and accounts from the sixth grade perspective as it was because of her so yeah. isn't that neat well. teachers are so that's my Mrs. Shear uh, my teacher in third grade said, you're going to be a writer one day. I'm like, really? Just, oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you say so. They know. They, they I, totally I had written know. a thing about, I don't, do you know what a Mexican jumping bean is? Yes. Probably not. <laughs> oh, you do? Okay. They, you know, they went yeah, around. Yep. Anyway, I wrote an article. I, I wrote a story about a, a bowl of Mexican jumping beans, Mexican jumping beans <laughs> coming to life. And they could hear all the people around him. And, it was, and she's like, you're going to be a writer one day. I'm like, okay. That's, <laughs> That's so funny. funny. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. Sidetrack. Sorry. <laughs> Just reminded me of that. <laughs> Us old people, we do that. Sidetrack. Um, <laughs> so, okay. So the book is Tying the Ribbon. I don't even know if I said that yet. How I Survived the Spinal Cord Stroke at 12 Years Old and My Life Afterward by, by Haley Stark. And um, this is how many how many rewrites did you? Do? I mean, did this just flow perfectly, you know, from from you to the paper or, or computer? <laughs> no, <laughs> oh, no, no, I yeah, wish. they never do, do they? <laughs> no. Talk no. about your writing <laughs> process, please. Yeah. So I had an interesting. So I originally had. So as soon as I could start moving my left hand enough, so. I was completely paralyzed. My left side comes back much quicker than my right. So while I am in Spalding, my left hand is is getting there. It's, it's pretty progressed. And so I started typing on my iPod Touch just how I was feeling. And they'd be like one sentence, like, I hate this. Like, it would be something very blunt, <laughs> very quick. And they started to get longer. And they were sort of diary entries. The modern diary entries was like a notes page on my iPod Touch. And <laughs> So I was yeah. writing out these these paragraphs about how I was feeling, and I eventually, my freshman year, started looking back on those and started piecing those together. And I took one. I took one of the ones that said uh, it was something as simple as they just tried to shave my legs and it, it hurt. <laughs> like something very, <laughs> very basic, um, very authentic. You, and I decided to minute. make it. Yeah, one second. And you're writing this with your left hand, one hand. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Keep going. Yes. Just want to remind yeah, everybody so of this. Like this is a book written with right. one hand. Right. So, um, my freshman year, my left hand's still pretty weak. I'm still 
so I, I decided to turn it into a narrative. I decided that one that one quote I turned into a narrative, and it's pretty exactly as it was written freshman year in the book. Um, now that section where I do talk about two nurses who shaved my legs and that whole experience, and um, it's to this day my favorite part of the book because it was the the piece that inspired the rest. Um, but I eventually. So my sophomore year, junior year, getting closer to today, I started turning all of these quotes into narratives, all these diary entries that I had kept. And then I thought, well, I can compile them. I can I can try to flow it together, try to piece all these entries together into a coherent story. And once I did, sophomore year, once that was complete, um, which at the time I was able to type on a laptop with Again, just my left hand, but much quicker and much more efficiently than I had when I first started writing the entries. I I decided, all right, like, well, now I have my story written out. wasn't going to publish it. wasn't going to do anything with it. It was just like, all right, there we go. Like, we're good. We have that capped off. If I ever need to look back on it, I have this document. And slowly I decided that as I was getting more comfortable with my injury and as I was getting more comfortable with myself and wanting to speak out, that I could do something with it. It could help someone or it could be a thank you to the community or to the people who prayed and the people who sent messages and love and help through all of it. And and that really tipped it over. I, I contacted an editor on my own. And then a few days later, I let my parents know that I wrote a book. <laughs> they were completely <laughs> yeah, so that they works. didn't know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I contacted <laughs> the editor. It. I showed up my parents I was like I need some money for this editor and they were like an editor so much (laughs) it was um, was, was a wonderful process so she edited it I went through um, fixed some of the things she had questions about and we kind of agreed right off we wanted to keep it the basic language the the repetition of words we wanted to keep some of that in there or as much as it as we could because we wanted to keep the the 12 year old voice as much as possible um and the voice of however old I was when I wrote those sections um Mm. but we did obviously fix spelling grammar all that which there was plenty of and um yeah yeah and then eventually there (laughs) I rule rule type of land (laughs) (laughs) um and so my parents my parents nobody had read the book before I published um, and that was mainly because I didn't want I, – I knew that they had so much to say about the injury, and their perspective is so amazing. And I didn't want – I wanted to preserve it as, as much of my own perspective as I could. So they didn't read it until it was published, and they wrote letters, these few-page letters at the end of the book, um, which I did not read until it was published as well. So I wanted something in there that would be a surprise to me as as the entire book would be a surprise to them. So. Yeah. So, so I have a, I'm going to ask about anger. There's no okay. anger in your voice, in your tone, in your personality. You could be really mad that your right hand doesn't work the way it, you know, you want it to or whatever. What stops you from getting really angry? at the world or um, whatever. You know how people yeah. are. They get mad and then they get stew and brew and right. madness and yeah, and the anger. Right. And I'd be lying if I said I didn't have moments. I don't have, you know, uh, frustrations. I don't get very mad sometimes. Um it it really doesn't happen often. I've had Good I've girl. had those one or two moments since, but I've I really it doesn't happen because I think I I personally I'm still dealing with a lot of survivor's guilt a lot of mm-hmm. um I was so connected we were also connected with the other families on the floor at Spalding when we were there and oh, yeah I, know I think yeah I think oh, a lot of it yeah. for me is <sighs> I think about I think about all that I do have and Gratitude. all of the things that I'm able to do and and I focus so so heavily on I get to speak about this I get to go make a difference I get to I was given the second chance for some reason and I have to believe that I can make a reason out of that I can make something and and I try not to dwell on anything that would 
prohibit that process, prohibit that, that motivation and that change because there were so many kids that we met and so many families that we met who, who will not recover to the same extent that my family did or anywhere near it. And oh yeah, I see. It's not a try not a happy that. place, is it? Yeah, sorry. It, 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 it's not. Oh. Yeah, it can be um, because be. the kids are are fighters and they're they're inspiring. But it's certainly it's not a. I mean that the parents all they have the same look in their eyes. The kids all are are trying their best. It's it's a tough place to be on that pediatric floor. Yeah, but, or in any ICU for that matter, at any age, right? Or any, of course. Or just yeah. It sounds like you're talking a lot about gratitude, which is one of my favorite things because I've rooted my whole entire <laughs> life and soul into gratitude. Um, right. Through a couple of my own, uh, nearly died. I don't know if you know that, but I've nearly died a couple times from um, anaphylaxis, which is allergic yeah, uh, allergic reactions and so forth. So I know that I know that feeling of of trying to live through something for sure. Um, right. But I just root so heavily in gratitude and it, it sounds like you do too. Um, yeah, certainly. As you were talking, I couldn't help but wonder, how do you tie your shoes? <laughs> I, um, I don't, I wear usually shoes that have a little buckle or something. That's always, I'm always looking at shoes that are easy to, to tie or to, to put together. Um, I can tie it if I, there's a little trick with like my, my right leg, I can, I can collapse my right leg and try to hold one string. It's, you figure out, you adapt pretty quickly um, with what you, you what, what, whatever you have, you figure yeah. out um, what you can do and what you can't do. But I, I tie it with my left hand and I, or I ask someone who I love to tie it. That's, <laughs> that's always yeah. the second option but there are certainly there are certainly things that I I still adapt to or do a slightly different way Um, like brushing my teeth is one of the things putting a toothbrush down and so that it stays upward when I'm putting on toothpaste is one of the the artful skills that (laughs) you've had to adapt and and learn yeah (laughs) almost like people would never think about oh yeah you know it's my mom kept saying this the whole time. She's like, there needs to be like almost like a, a stroke survivors line of products that need to be invented yeah. for things like that yeah. for, sh- for the right shoes, um, toothbrush right. for sure. And then she would say that um, uh, like flashcards, because when you can't communicate um, verbally, just for like maybe anybody that's in the hospital, like flashcards right. that you can hold up and say, do yeah. you, what, you know, that kind of, like, what do you need? You know, blink once or twice or squeeze something or whatever. Yeah. She had all sorts of clever things that she, um, that she did. What's, what's something else that we wouldn't think of like that. And, and I, maybe you can, you know, invent the new toothbrush, right. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's tying yeah. your shoes, brushing your teeth. Are there other yeah. things that are like, that we wouldn't think of that. I think it helps talk about the reason I'm asking you this is because I think it really helps um, hopefully maybe we need things invented, but also that I, <laughs> yes. yeah, really, no, I really do. I hope somebody's listening out there to sure. invent this type of thing, but also I think it helps people really understand other people. When you talk about things, people go, yes, I'm a stroke survivor also, and I struggle with the same thing. And here's a tip or trick that I do. Um, right. You know, I just, am, I believe in being vocal. Um, did yeah. you have other things along that line? Oh yeah, I mean, the list goes on. Um, but one of the things that I always think about is whenever, like, we cook something that needs to be cut at the the house. My parents both know to to cut it ahead of time before it goes out on the table, or, or we cut it back in, in the kitchen because I can't yeah. hold a, a fork and a knife like that at the same time. It's a bit stressful. So there have been some pretty awkward moments in the last five years. Um, either at restaurants or I try to avoid things on the menu that would be difficult um, to to maneuver around. And but there have been times I've been invited to people's houses and and things like that where um, I've tried to kind of cover up that that struggle, that momentary struggle of of cutting something or 
or using both hands like that. Now I'm a bit more vocal than I've ever been. I think every day I'm a bit more vocal than I was the day before. So I'm more apt to ask for help now. Yeah. But as a 13, 14, 15 year old, when it first happened, those first few years, I was doing everything I could to pretend it didn't happen. And little things like that, I would always just try to brush over, try to avoid. I'd, I'd eat everything else someone presented and then just say something like I wasn't in the mood or, you know, something to yeah, be polite. But Yeah. Um, I do that same thing with food so, allergies too. It's awkward. And, right. And yeah. Right. I developed a speech. <laughs> <laughs> it, it starts with, hi, I have food allergies. And uh, right. this is sort of what I need to live through this moment at this restaurant or whatever, you know, it could be just as simple as right. that. I don't think anybody's ever going to make fun of that, but I understand what you mean about feeling just so awkward right. or out of place or, or, you know, very unique. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let me, let me think about this a little bit. What, so how can somebody, I'm going to guess I'm, I'm not the only one who wants to hear you speak. And I, and I definitely won't be the only one moving forward that wants to hear you speak or talk about your book or, or talk about what's happened, but how can people reach you? Um, if they would, if they would like to, you know, have you chat about your book, you know, say a book club wants to invite you or somebody wants yeah. to give a keynote at some point, what's the best way to reach you? Yeah. So the best way to reach me is my email, um, which is just tying the ribbon at gmail.com. Title of the book as is uh, no spaces, no special characters. So it's tying the ribbon at gmail.com. And the, I have, done at this point I've given speeches to all school assemblies I've given speeches to middle school grades I've done support groups um, medical groups business groups so I'm really I, I love to public speak I love to interact with different people and certainly if anyone would want to reach out to me that would be the the best way to do so okay I'm going to take a question from um, somebody who just sent us a question if that's okay. okay. Um, yeah. They want to know, so is it, there's two parts to the question. One is about asking about more about disability rights. And then the okay. other, um, uh, we have another question that somebody sent in wanting to know um, how, like, it, it, because this has happened, is your, are your parents overprotective, your brother, you know, how, <laughs> what's the effect of something like this <laughs> on, on, uh, yeah. on you in terms of, you know, everybody worrying it's going to happen again or, you know, you know, things that are normal that, that people want worry about. Yeah. So I have, I'm lucky. I'm very close relationships with both of my parents and everyone in my family. Um, And I've had a lot of serious conversations about stuff like this with them both. And my dad recently admitted to me that he no longer fears that it's going to happen every day, but there was certainly a time there where I believe both of them were, we're pretty freaked that, that this sort of thing could happen again. There could be a recurrence and both of them, they have very different. So they are separated. So I go back and forth every week, 50, 50% of the time. And um, they have very different parenting styles, but I believe both of them are protective of me in their own ways. They're both, um, they check in in different ways. They, they care in different ways. And I'd say that right after the injury, there was a level of of pretty severe protectiveness. Um, a lot of like making any possible accommodations, make sure I was okay at home, and like putting bars up in the house so I could grab onto things, trying to get up and down from the shower, trying to get up and down from my bed. Um, so there there was a level of protectiveness, and I think my friends got that too. My close friends are also to this day a bit a bit protective but it none of it anymore is debilitating like none of it is is so prevalent in our lives that it, it stops us from not having to worry on a daily basis or an every second kind of basis um right. the five five years since i think that's really time has been the difference time has let that kind of wear off but but i know for sure and I know my parents will say it as well, that there is still that built-in extra layer of protectiveness. Yeah. How do you not have that, though? How do you, what do you do to to block that out 
or whatever it is that you have to do. With yeah. Your, yeah. What's your, I, I'm not going to have anxiety, anxiety develop about mm. this. It's really important yeah. to not have um, that. Right. And, and I have for a while, um, right after it happened, I was very nervous. It would happen again oh, yeah. or, or I would come down with something that would cause something like that. And, um, and now I, I really rely on the same thing that kind of gets me through thinking about the kids and, and thinking about the other kids at Spalding and, and Tufts and their situations. The idea of I was given this opportunity and if I waste my time worrying or I waste my time thinking about what could happen, that, that'll limit my, my ability to do what I'm here still to do and I really I always just divert back to that thought of if I continue to worry if I continue to be anxious all that's going to do is is stop me from going on and and doing the thousand things I'd like to get done in this lifetime (laughs) yeah so yeah that kind of mentality yeah very positive and then um what about disability rights? Was this something that you were aware of before this happened? Like has always been something you've been interested in or has this um, come to light because of that? It was, it was entirely because of this. I, I didn't know a whole, like I loved government and politics before. I was always very interested in like the debates and candidates and all that sort of, like my dad was a political science major. So he and I talked about it when I was 11, 12. Um, <laughs> but I had no real sense of, of disability rights. I didn't know really, I'm still figuring out what different sorts of, of injustices there are out there um, and just lack of awareness in general. And so that's really come with the last few years and honing in on what, I want to study and, and who I want to be in terms of my involvement in, in government and politics in the future. So, yeah. so I've really just recently learned a lot about that and, and what can change in that realm. Got it. All right. So we're going to run out of time. Um, is there anything that I have not asked you that you wanted to be sure and talk about? I always ask that <laughs> in case I didn't, in case I just completely <laughs> just skipped over something. I mean, I, I really appreciate you being here. Yeah, well, I appreciate the opportunity um, more than I can say. I, I think the the last thing I just want to include is I two um, or a couple of thank yous that aren't written in the book directly. Um, Corey Legg just she's a Falmouth High School alumni. She just produced on Audible the audiobook version of the book that she reads herself. Um, Laurel Robinson was my editor for the process and she edited the book in its entirety quickly and, and wonderfully and she was had great communication the entire time. John Ryu who graduated a few years back. He helped me with the graphic design cover. Um, David Steindl helped me with the cover as well. He took the photo and um, certainly just parents, family, everyone else in, in Falmouth and beyond who has who has helped me recover in my own ways and let this happen for me. Yeah. But other than that, I really don't have anything else. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, it has been um, an honor having you here and, you know, you. and uh, much success, much continued healing and, and uh, changing other people's lives with uh, your awareness and your mindset. I can't wait to see all the things that you do. Good luck with your senior year. And if you, you. if you get off the phone and you think, oh, my gosh, I wish I would have talked about that, come back. <laughs> I was invited on. All right. <laughs> or please write an article for besteveryou.com. We'd love to have you there. Yeah. Um, and we can, you know, we can do more. We can talk about your book. Whatever you want to do, just um, feel free to use besteveryou.com as your writing canvas if you want to sometimes. I'd love to have you. Um, but in general, thank you. And I'm, I'm glad you're here with us. I'm, I'm, I, um, really appreciate you coming on here and talking about what's happened and telling us about your book and telling us about your life. So thank you. Thank you you for that. And, um, everybody that was 
that's Haley Stark. She's amazing. <laughs> and uh, her book is tied. Yeah, it's awesome. We're ending on laughter too. So I love that. That's a great show to start on laughter yeah. and end on laughter. Um, so you can buy her book, Tying the Ribbon. I put a link um, on the show site uh, to the book on Amazon. I think the Audible link is up there on Amazon as well. But as with any book, you can always go in to any bookstore and ask to order the book as well so you can buy it in person but thank you so much everybody for listening and thank you Haley Stark take care everybody have a great day thank you thanks for listening to the best ever you show want more visit us at besteveryou.com be your best and keep it real confident successful caring and beautiful every day with best ever you